My name is Michael Dolce, and I make comics on Kickstarter. Welcome to I Made This from Do Anything Media, a show about passionate people executing on their big ideas in brilliant, personal, and most importantly, practical ways that you can adapt to make your own big idea a reality. I'm Bill Meeks, and today I'm talking with Michael Dolce. Now, Michael's a new friend. Uh, He's an accomplished writer, a graphic novelist. Uh, He's a podcast and web guru. He used to work for Wizard Magazine. If you're familiar with comic books, that's really impressive. He's also currently in charge of Sire Studios, a multi-genre IP production company. He's written for Image Comics, Xenoscope, and runs several successful Kickstarters to finance his passions. Today I'm going to be talking to Michael about his latest Kickstarter project, a collection of his image comic book Descendant, which he's also currently adapting into a screenplay. We also talk about the challenges in taking the plunge and quitting your day job to build your own career, something I'm just getting my head around right now because it's just been a little over 30 days. It was a really useful conversation for me, and I really hope you find it useful too. Alright, I made this for you. Take a listen. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me in. Very excited to talk to you. I, I, I'm a huge comic book fan for years and years and years, and it's always fun to get to talk to somebody who does what I think is the most undervalued but most important aspects of making comic books, which is the writing part of it, right? Excellent. So why don't you go ahead and uh, let us know a little bit about how you got into writing comics. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I've been doing this, gosh, it'll be almost 20 years in a couple years. So we'll say under, we'll say over 15, make it sound so I'm not as old. Uh, we'll just say 15. G- give you yeah, that there we go. Yeah, Let's see. Yeah. That's solid. Yeah, there, there we go. <laughs> Round down. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a point where experience starts to become age and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fine line. Experience is a good thing, but then, you know, youth culture, eventually <laughs> you age out of anything worth <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now, so I've been doing this uh, a little over 15 years now. Um, I started self-publishing right out of college. It was the best mistake I could have made. Uh, basically, I've been doing comics all my life, been uh, reading them since 11 years old, making them since I was 11 years old. And, uh, and that was always uh, the career path that I always wanted to follow. And um, in college, basically spent the entire time I was either in the computer lab or in the bar and that was pretty much where it was <laughs> and um uh you know just to kind of get to your question about the writing part of it you know I was I was actually an art major and my goal was to write and draw comics Mm-hmm. The initial uh, output I did was a book called Crossfire, which uh, later became The Sire, which is what everyone kind of knows me for, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. What I did with that was I submitted to publishers and I submitted to distributors and, you know, keep, kept getting the same response. You know, the art's not good enough, uh, which it wasn't. Uh, I mean, lo- you know, especially looking back, I mean, you, you know, uh, there's something about today's culture that assumes that just because you put the effort in that you should be rewarded. But um in this particular case, look, the end result really wasn't a professional enough uh, looking comic book. So yeah, and they're a business. So, you know, they're very concerned about how they look out there on the shelves. Yeah, I mean, look, they don't want something that doesn't that's not professional. I mean, if it it was professional and, 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 you know, again, objectively looking at it, I mean, especially now it's like, my gosh, I can't believe I submitted this with this cover the way it was. And I should have gotten (laughs) this and that. But anyway, fast forward, um, I started working at Wizard Magazine straight after that. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine who's still a good friend of mine, Darren Sanchez, said to me, uh, you know, after I started redrawing the whole thing and I would I would submit uh, the artwork to 
different people just to kind of get a you can get some feedback and they'd be all like oh your art got better <laughs> now, they didn't say it was good they just said it got better you know and and uh, darren stopped me and he says you know look are you trying to tell a story or are you trying to do an art project you know what are you what's what's your your main goal and uh, i said look i have a universe of stories i want to tell and a variety of stories and I'd written some screenplays and, you know, mm-hmm. he's, look, just focus on the writing then, you know, just you can't be everything and, and you shouldn't try to be everything because right now it's, you know, it took me three years to put out one issue and then it took me another 16 months to redraw another one. It's like it's it's not a viable option. So around that time, I, um, you know, I took his advice. I started partnering up with uh, with other artists that I found. He, he introduced me to Dan Leister, who's become a really good friend of mine as well. And we launched Sire in 2006, mm-hmm. and I've been actively writing uh, a whole bunch of stuff ever since. You said you worked for uh, Wizard Magazine. What did you do there? I was the website editor. I was actually, I started in research, which was like their bullpen, mm-hmm. and uh, became the editor of their website. So I was the website editor from 2003 to, until uh, shortly before, you know, before I left in 2006. Mm-hmm. I ran the main news site for about two years and then switched over to the convention news site uh, when editorial kind of like took control of the uh, of their of the online presence. I mean, this is the day. It's neat. I mean, this is the kind of cool part about the age that I'm at uh, is that we were like the sandwich generation. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I can remember like using rotary phones, um, but I'm also, you know, a cell phone is, is, is a is a is an everyday part of life. So I got to kind of see this technology that, you know, I think everyone kind of like, you know, especially the younger you know, groups now kind of I don't want to say to take for granted because it's not the right word. I'm not, I don't, no one takes it for granted. They just, they were born into it, yeah. you know, and, and I kind of came of age during it. So I think it was, it's, it's kind of a neat, uh, neat aspect to it. So, uh, do you think, uh, you know, the professional relationships you, you built while you were at Wizard, have, have those helped your ambitions? They have absolutely helped my ambitions. You, you do business with people you know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. That's how you do business in any in any way, shape, or form. And you'll hear me talk more business sense now as I am older. I run my own business. It's a marketing, you know, web company. Uh, it's a podcasting company. And it's, you know, it's all these different things. Um, but it's something that I, I kind of had to come to terms with uh, as an artist. And that's a lot of times when you're an artist, you know, you, you don't think the two should mix. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, you'll sit there and say, well, I'll go work a day job. Until this thing, you know, if this takes off, then I can do things, you know, then I then I'll be a full time, you know, artist and you're and you're almost holding on to this hope that it's going to automatically translate into success that you could then leave your day job. And and I learned, you know, over the past like six, seven years, especially that that kind of thinking is why a lot of people end up failing at this business because because they can't separate the two and they can't or they can't merge the two. I mean, and they Mm -hmm. can't get out of this endless cycle. So you might hear me talk a lot of business in that sense. But getting back to your initial question, networking is absolutely key. Uh, You know, I can trust the people you want to work with. And um, and it's helped me tremendously. What you said there about, you know, trying to maintain the day job while you're trying to build something like I, I, I've actually had some recent experience with that. I just left my day job about two weeks ago. Oh, congrats. Uh, to do all this stuff. So, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things you, you reach a limit with your bandwidth where Mm -hmm. you're trying to do a million things. You're trying to do everything and everything's suffering because you're so divided. Yeah. I mean, even it's funny, even within my own company now, I'm finding this is to be a problem. Like I, I, Mm -hmm. and this is my own business, but I'm like sitting there going, Oh, I really want to expand X, Y, and Z, but I'm still stuck doing A, B, and C. And even though it's my own thing, I, I, you know, you're constantly evolving and figuring out how, 
um, how to give, you know, time is such a precious commodity. I don't know if you have a family. I have two kids now and they're young and it's, and it, they're the most amazing time suck I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. Yeah. Between school meetings and, you know, just general fights between kids. I haven't even gotten to that yet. They're three and a half <laughs> one. It's literally just holding on for dear life, making sure that they're alive and not killing themselves or burning <laughs> the house down or killing each other or whatever the case is. So that's where I'm at right now. But yeah, I mean, they consume a lot of time as well too. I mean, in a good way, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. it's, but it's still, so, so mastering that bandwidth issue, at least if you're going to do a day job or if you're going to, you know, even, even my own business is a day job in some ways, I kind of look at it that way, do it so that it's geared toward advancing the stuff that you want to do. And wizard magazine absolutely did that. Um, I made some great friendships. I mean, it's funny, like, you know, I ended up getting to interview, I interviewed a whole lot of folks back then when I didn't want to be a journalist and didn't want to do interviews and all that fun stuff. And I kind of laugh now because I do my own podcast and that's all I do. Uh, but it's, it's funny because I interviewed like Talon Caldwell and I got to know him really well. Uh, you know, um, a hot button name was Ethan Van Skyver. I got to know him very well. And he's, you know, he's obviously a hot button guy. He's a friend. I'm never going to turn back on him as a friend and oh, he's, yeah. he's great, but it's like, you get to know these relationships, you know, talent was, Tal was at my wedding, you know, but Talon, I also did uh, our our late our last series that came out through Zenoscope last year called Mainstream Together and and it's these these friendships you build and these connections you build that uh, that that are going to help you accelerate that 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 uh, that growth curve quicker. You have sort of you know the artist and the writer brain and then you have the the business brain. How do you kind of reconcile those and prioritize? You know what? It's funny. It takes a, a time where all of us. Well, first we're reconciling it again. I did that. I did that five years ago. I sat there and I said, "There's no reason that you know I I would design websites for other companies and and I would sit there and say, there's no reason I can't be doing this myself.' So at least I control my time. So mm-hmm. you know, once you start, once you once you shed the idea that making money is wrong and evil and awful. Um, <laughs> Yes, greed can be bad and, and, and greed can be a horrible thing and helping people is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really nice to be able to be paid for stuff and, and to make money because you're doing that anyway. So yeah. just because you principally feel like you should not make money off your art or your or your pure and your artist you know, your artistry. You know, John Lennon was a capitalist, you know, I mean, yeah. he, he said it all the time. He says, you know, my brain is a socialist, but at heart, I'm a capitalist. You know, Paul McCartney's like, yeah, we used to sit together and say, all right, let's go write ourselves a swimming pool today. <laughs> you know, like they, I mean, when they would sit down and write songs. So look, it, it, it capitalism fuels your ability to do the stuff that you want to do and be in charge of your life. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that, you know, people could abuse that and, and uh, <laughs> anyone that does comics knows you, you most likely will never make any kind of money to the point where you would actually have to worry about it, <laughs> about that, you know, unless you're really super, super, uh, successful and, but, but, so it's not hard to reconcile the two. Um, what, what, and, and it's kind of fun. I mean, I, you know, it, it, through this process of running my own business and also doing comics and doing, you know, and writing and things like that, I have. I, I keep being reminded of, of my own patterns. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even going back to when I was in sixth grade, folding papers together and making black and white little comics that I would draw. I, I literally just showed um, my, my, my son's friend who's like eight years old and she's into drawing. And I was like, oh, well, let me show you what I did when I was right around your time. So maybe it'll inspire you. And I looked and they were just blank there was, I would draw the cover and I would, and I would leave the rest blank because I was like, well, I don't feel like actually doing the work, you know, and I would sell these books, not the blank ones, obviously, but I would, mm-hmm. you know, make photocopies and I'd sell. And I, and I realized that I, I actually innately always like running a company. So there's, there's, so, you know, being creative and coming up with these ideas, 
and then having other people execute them or executing them alongside other people or, you know, which we call collaboration mm-hmm. um, is actually not a foreign concept uh, to innately to what I like to do. I mean, um, I, I spoke to Josh Blaylock, who, who's um, Devil's Do Comics, and he looks at a lot of the stuff that he's been doing with his own company as, well, this is part of his art. And he does a lot of commercial projects. He does commercial comics that you'll never know that he that his company does mm-hmm. because it's not out in stores. But that's that's his art, just like anything else is. You know, these websites I build for companies. That's some of my art too. You know, I mean, it's just it's just in different formats. And um, and and so so to reconcile the two is actually not as difficult once you kind of come to terms with. Again, you just got to come to terms with the with the reality of the situation. You know, I, I, I love sports and sports is a great analogy for everything I like to do. Mm-hmm. Most people are not LeBron James. There are definitely some folks out there and not to say LeBron James didn't put the work in, but that are just naturally gifted with a talent that no one else has. The rest of us can make the NBA, mm-hmm. you know, but but we're yeah. not going to be LeBron James. And so you kind of have to realize like, OK, for every LeBron James and, and the metaphor is is, you know, not that we're not good enough for this or that. Someone's going to create something that is exactly at the right time and exactly at the right opportunity and it's going to hit and they're going to and they're going to build their entire empire off of this one success and then have multiple successes because it snowballs after that a lot of us are going to really work hard and pay our dues and just continue to try and fail and succeed and moderately succeed and learn go oh i I could do this better and this and that and um and then eventually we'll be successful and people will say, wow, you're an overnight success. And that overnight success can take 20 years, you know, <laughs> you mentioned uh, collaboration and you might be LeBron James in like one thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, how do you determine what that one thing is and how to sort of delegate or collaborate with other people to get it done to the top level? This was always told to me when I would um, when I wanted to be an artist and it was, you know, get objective feedback. You know, your mom is not going <laughs> to tell you you suck, <laughs> you know? Oh, that's nice to hear. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was, I, I, I was in bands for a while too. I was a singer in a band for like in the, in, in the aughts, I guess we'll call it the aughts. I don't know what else we call it. 2000. Yeah, it's the aughts. And I would remember I would have, you know, all my friends come to the shows cause that's what you had to do. You had to, you know, your, 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 your job. We'll get to, we'll get to that job. Cause that job is actually the same throughout everything is you need to market your own stuff. doesn't matter who you're with or what you do. And I would have a friend sit in the back and there was one time I literally had laryngitis. I, I had just come off like a really bad cold and my voice was shot, but the sound was terrible. And But after the show, everyone's like, man, you sounded great. Everything was great. Blah, blah, blah. And I'd go to him. I'm like, how'd I sound? He's like, you were terrible, dude. Like you were, you couldn't, you know, you, I'm like, he's like, couldn't hit a high note. You couldn't do this. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I knew I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had him at the next show when I was healthy and he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, you're much better. You're doing this. You know, that's the feedback you need to, you need to sit there and tell, you know, uh, don't be delusional about what you can or can't do. Find people that are going to, they don't have to, they don't have to nail into the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, Eric Larson, uh, of Savage Dragon takes a lot of heat. Um, and he says he stops giving reviews online specifically because it's not worth his time now to have to, you know, counter his own opinions. Yeah. Um, but I showed him, I showed him, uh, the sire when I first did it, you know, I first came out with it and he's like, this is off. The light source is bad. This is not right. This is, you know, and I was doing the coloring at the time too. And he was, but he was giving me a full on critique mm-hmm. and you just got to have a tough skin and go, you know what, let me show it to two other people. If that, whose opinions are of value. Mm-hmm. If you if you show it to three people and three people say, you know, it's a consistent criticism, 
it's probably you. If one person says one thing and one person says another thing and one person says another thing, try to try to parse the info as much as you can and get the best um, you know distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, so so when it comes to knowing what the best thing to do is, I mean, that's all you can do is show your work to people that you trust and say, don't sugarcoat it. You know, is this something you'd buy? Is this something you'd read? I mean, if you want to be a writer, join a writer's group. Mm-hmm. You know, they have no they have no personal loyalty to you. They're going to sit there and rip into your stuff. Yeah. And if you can't take it, I mean, you have to. You have to because, quite frankly, the guy on the message board who's posting to Twitter that your work sucks mm-hmm. when you put your stuff out there. You know, you could have prevented that. Yeah, yeah. As a creator, that's one of the most useful things you can do is just get that objective feedback. That's why I love live performance for that reason. Like you were talking with the music. Yeah. Because, you know, you step step out on a stage in front of a crowd that where you don't know anybody. You're going to find out pretty quick, you know, what your strengths and weaknesses yep. are. Also surround yourself with other people who are trying to do what you do. Um, mm-hmm. Because competition makes you stronger, A. And mm-hmm. B... Um, you know, if you sit in an island in, in a vacuum and just think you're the greatest thing, you know, if you, you know, everyone thinks like they're, uh, they're the next Alan Moore, they might be, mm-hmm. but chances are they're probably not. And, and, and they need to work up to being the next Alan Moore or the next, you know, Brian Michael Bendis or Brian K. Vaughan, you know, they need to work up to doing that. They're not, you know, find out what other people do. And the best work I ever did was just being friends with a lot of people who are in the same level that I'm at, that we're all trying to like, no, we're not, we're not competing against each other. We're competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the right way to phrase it either, but it's like we're not actually trying to outdo each other, but we're looking at what they're doing going, oh, man, I got to step my game up and I got to do something, you know, oh, man, the way the, the way that, you know, uh, my co-writer on Descendant, uh, my image book, uh, which is, is now the Kickstarter that we're doing, uh, you know, we would trade scripts back and forth for that. And, and, and he would come up with something and be like, oh, man, like, ah, oh, he really raised this up. And then it's like, all right, now it's my turn. I have to raise this up. And that's, you know, that's just fundamental to being able to, to get better. I, I'm trying to remember who who coined this term. I can't remember off the top of my head, but cooperation. Yeah, you know that that's a yeah. principle. I I uh, for a number of years I did some fan cast based on specific TV shows, and I would always make it a point to reach out to other people doing podcasts about those same TV shows mm-hmm. and bring them on as guests, and you know meet up at the end of the season and talk about the show because. You know, if someone's listening to my show mm-hmm. and someone's listening to their show, there there's probably some crossover and they might get something different out of my show than they do out of your show. It's not a one or the other kind of thing. You know, I'm a big fan of Breaking Bad. I listen to the Breaking Bad Insiders podcast. Uh-huh. I listen to the Breaking Bad Bald Move podcast, bunch of different podcasts because, you know, everyone has a different perspective. And I think that's a good point you have there that you, you shouldn't be afraid of people who are doing similar things. No. The best you can get from them is you know, help and encouragement and, you know, maybe a little friendly competition to drive you. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and, uh, you know, you mentioned it a minute ago, pitch us on this, uh, this Kickstarter that you're trying to run right now. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a small scale Kickstarter. Um, I like doing, um, smaller Kickstarters, uh, to kind of ramp up and just kind of build up, uh, you know, the, the Kickstarter process. First of all, if you're doing a Kickstarter, it's so much work. It's so much work. People don't realize how much work it is just to make it really great. Mm-hmm. But this is a book that I actually first did at Image Comics. It was my first ever Image project uh, back in 2009. Uh, it was co-created by myself and Marcus Perry. And we brought an artist, Mariano Navarro, on, um, who I got introduced to from uh, a former wizard guy who knew an artist. See, I mean, that's, <laughs> again, that's where the connections really kind of come into play. Uh, Brand Fowler did the letters, and I did the colors uh, on the book. Um, and it was great. It was a three-issue miniseries. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was really great. It's still like the best-selling book I've ever done. Uh, we were going to do more, but then things kind of like the editor uh, got let go a year later, and so mm-hmm. things kind of kind of fell apart in terms of the output that Shadowline was doing in 2010. And um, 
And so we never really materialized a sequel to it. Um, plus, Mariano Navarro, you know, went above and beyond and, and really took a huge discount to do this book. Um, and uh-huh. so at the time, it was like, well, we don't have any money to pay you anymore. And, <laughs> and, and, and we didn't make any money off the book. We, we kind of broke even with all the expenses and, and the marketing and all this other stuff. So, you know, it, it, we kind of just left it alone. And, um, and then in the last year or two, it's just been uh, – I've been converting it into a screenplay. Uh, it's about a counter-terrorist agent who is the descendant of an Incan goddess, and she's got these crazy powers she can't control, but she's kept hidden her entire life. So someone from her past kind of outs her to her team, and she has to kind of go on the run. Um, and she's also got to save her brothers from a, uh, a pharmaceutical company that's moved into her home area. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a, it's a super-powered espionage tale. The one thing Image didn't do back then either for three issues was make a trade. Um, you needed at least four issues to do a trade, most times five or six before they would even do it just because printing was, was just a lot different 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, bond-demand printing now, you know, we can do a small run and it's not going to cost us a fortune. So I'm only asking for 500 bucks to cover the cost of the printing and the shipping. I like doing these small little Kickstarters, especially because the book's done. I don't need to do any more. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I really, really want to pay back Mariano for all the hard work he did. So anything extra that we do um, above the cost of the 500 and, you know, if I ship out, you know, copies of my own book, um, you know, so any kind of printing and shipping, I want to, I want to just send over to Mariano as a thank you for the hard work that he did. So, oh yeah. And, uh, you, you sent me over some of the artwork and stuff and beautiful, beautiful artwork. Uh, as far as recompensating your artist, is, is, is this a relationship you've maintain throughout the years yeah oh yeah yeah no and he's totally we're like we're totally cool like he was you know i emailed him and i told him the idea and i was like i still feel bad that i mean i think we ended up you know again he just took a huge discount for doing three issues for us Mm -hmm. but we expected to make money on the book you know and that and those were the deals you used to do back then you know it was like well on the back end you know we can pay you this but you know we'll get you money on the back end when it sells blah 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 Mm -hmm. we have an image book so it's gonna sell and it did but you know again it really again goes back to the initial lesson that I learned, which is you always have to market your own stuff. I, I really thought, I'm an image. I'm great. I can just worry about the book. I don't have to worry about marketing. And that's not true at all. So that I just, I re, and he's like, he's like, oh man, he's like, that's, he's like, you don't even, he's like, you don't even have to do this. He's like, he's, he's perfectly well off. He's doing a really nice job. He's, he's done some Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had done Marvel stuff previous. He's doing, and the stuff he's doing is, is, is awesome now. And he's like, well, hopefully we get to work together. I actually just referred him on a project to somebody looking for an artist too. So hopefully, you know, you know, he gets something from that, but that's, it, you know, what it, it just just given the history of the book, it would it would it would make me feel like complete <laughs> to, to, to at least throw him uh, a few dollars. And then partially what I'm thinking, maybe maybe we'll do is a stretch goals. If we get to a certain amount is maybe just, you know, hire him to do a variant cover or something like that. Oh, that'd be fun, too. Yeah. So uh, with the timing of this, you said you're sort of adapting the story into a screenplay right now. Is that part of the rationale behind putting this collection out now? To kind of maybe support that? Yes. Uh, it all kind of works together. Uh, you know, I'm really f- thinking of doing more full-on publishing next year. And so really what it was was just getting all of my IPs that I own or co-own, mm-hmm. you know, back into prominence. I mean, the book itself has kind of been out of print for 10 years now. So And and, and the issues themselves are kind of sold out, you know, um, across the – you know, I, I mean, I, I've, I've actually been going online and trying to find copies here and there. So mm-hmm. just to kind of snag them just because I don't have any more. I mean, I really, you know, I can't even, it's not even something I can go to conventions and sell anymore. I really only have like maybe five or six copies left of, of all the, of all the comics. I said, you know what, let's get the story out there. Let's get people aware of it. Um, uh, this creator, uh, Tyler James said to me, he says, look, you know, if you create something 10 years ago, well, in today's world, 
you know, that's a generation of people that hasn't read it yet, you mm-hmm. know, and time has no meaning anymore. I mean, it doesn't, you know, something that might be 10 years old is brand new to somebody. And now with, with this rush of content, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's out there. And also look, it was, it was a, a Latina female lead, uh, to a series, which I think is so relevant today. Mm-hmm. She's a strong female lead, but she's also, I, I think, you know, we tried to write something that was, uh, was very authentic to a real character, um, and she has ups and downs and, and, and has to go through, uh, you know, a, a different swarm of emotions, uh, throughout the course of the series, um, you know, trying to save her family, trying to run from her past, you know, it was just, it, it, it's just, it speaks, it speaks really well today. Uh, we've got a really great, um, writer kind of joining us to do the screenwriting as well too. Her name is Liz Reyes. Um, so, so we're, we're kind of putting it all together in, in a, in a really cool, like package out there, but yeah, it's an attempt to revitalize the IP and, and, uh, and, and who knows, you know, if it's successful, I mean, we own it, we could do more. So it's a good thing. I know a lot of times with my creative projects, like, you know, it's signed, sealed, delivered, it's out the door and I'm like, thank goodness. And it drops off the back of my mind forever. I, is there anything beyond what you've already mentioned that, uh, sort of kind of kept this in the back of your head as something that you'd like to do more with? You know what's funny? I actually have the exact same mentality, um, but I think it's like anything else. Like I just reread Volume One of The Sire, um, and I, I don't think I've re- I, I, don't, I haven't reread that book in five years. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it, I think after a while you just have enough distance to it where all of a sudden you go from being a creator to just a reader and someone that can objectively look at something and go, "Is this good? Is this not good? What can I do? What should I do?" Mm-hmm. And and I think just enough time had passed. You know, I reached out to, to Image as well, too, and said, hey, this is my plans for the book. I know, technically speaking, I mean, I've been told, I'm like, it's, I own it, and I do, and it's creator-owned and whatever. It's been 10 years out of print, so who cares at this point? But Yeah, and that's the basically the way Image has it set up, right? Everything's totally creator-owned. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and Jim Valentino, so I reached out to Jim at Shadowline, and I said, you know, that was his. that's his brand of Image. Is this, you know, I have this idea, I want to put a... I want to put a, a trade together. He said, that's great. Yeah, my blessing, go for it. Um, and, and so kind of, you know, cross my... Tease and dotted my eyes and made sure that you know everything's good for that. And and again, future stories now, um, you know, can kind of be told under my umbrella, which is the Sire Studios umbrella. So I, let's go ahead and tap back to the Kickstarter now. Uh, mm-hmm. What are the biggest challenges uh, for you when you when you set up a Kickstarter like this? I think it's the prep work. Mm-hmm. It's putting together things that are enticing, but it's it's really just putting out a good project to begin with, and then. You know, again, it's you gotta get, you gotta get these rewards together, and then you gotta decorate the page, and you gotta get the. It's just a lot of prep work, and then you gotta let people know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's a lot of buildup, and then it doesn't go away once you kind of hit that on button either, and then it becomes this like obsessive thing where you're just like, did someone back? Is ah, are we gonna hit the? And I've done I've done larger Kickstarters. Uh, the, the the biggest one I did was a twenty five hundred dollar one mm-hmm. years ago for um, a different property, and. Um, it was nerve wracking. It's, 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 it's exhausting. It's mentally exhausting too, because then you're, you're, you know, you are constantly out there trying to hit, um, the right mark. Now the, the idea, and this is, you know, this is a process that I'm going through between this year and next year. And, and, and by 2021, I'm hoping to be established into this, into this business model of, uh, you know, I built up a fan base. Um, I need to be a more reliable creator. I need to be putting more stuff out, um, to the point where, there are definitely people out there that just they buy everything I, I put out, and it, and it's mm-hmm. such an amazing feeling, and it's such an awesome connection that was made that um, I need to just replicate that connection. You don't, you only need about hundred people to make a Kickstarter 
you know, uber successful. I mean, when all said done, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, my last Sire Kickstarter had about 47 people and it was, again, it was a $500 Kickstarter. So it was kind of, you know, nice and nice and quick and to the point. And the idea is to keep building this audience to the point where they, they can come to expect, you know, stuff from you. So it's maybe not as nerve wracking and maybe you can kind of build off of what you did. But right now, uh, you know, I mean, it's only my fifth Kickstarter, I think. And, and, um, and it's my first one in a year. So it's got to be it, it's it's going through the motions and going through the process all over again to try to establish something that's really uh, going to be worthwhile to, to people. And that's that's the big hurdle, I think. Now, you mentioned that, you know, you have you have a bit of an audience, you have a bit of a following. Uh, where did that come from? Is that from your previous comic book work or is it from the podcasting and stuff? Or? Both. It's both. Uh, you know, the podcast was it's funny. You mentioned that, that you quit the day job to do your podcast because I actually started a radio show in 20 at the end of 2015 we, we launched in 2016 and that was my kick in the pants to leave my job <laughs> you know, to pay for the studio um you know to put a dollar figure behind it actually was like all right i have to do this you know there's no there's no turning back here i'm actually investing money into myself forcing me to leave i, I was always going to leave and i but i've been building up to it but still at any point to leave security of a paycheck mm-hmm. uh could be could be can be difficult. So oh, yeah, even with with the best pre- preparations, which is what I tried to have. Yeah, it was still like the the day of. I was like, well, shit. <laughs> I hope this works out okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, it, it, look, it's it's that leap, and and it's funny because I had started my business uh, at the end of 2015, and I met with some other business owners who uh, different different um, you know businesses altogether, like a travel agent and all sort of stuff. And we still talked even a year later when business was going great and the podcast was going great and all this other stuff was going great. Like the fear, mm-hmm. I mean, do you still have the fear and, and the fear is still there? The fear is always there. The cash flow, cash flow fear. How am I paying my bills? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 uh, it, it takes an incredible, you know, mental, uh, capacity to make that leap. And it's, and it's always there. So it's also a little exciting though, isn't it? A, a little bit thrilling, like, oh, oh my God, I might completely screw everything up, but it's so exciting right now. So rewarding though. The excitement, the rush is, the rush comes from, you know, the, the, I remember it was 2017. It was like the fall of 2017. And I took a day to just go hiking by myself and I'm standing on top of a mountain. It's beautiful. It's like September weather. It's like gorgeous, 60 degrees, like a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm here. Like, I literally am on top of a mountain right now. And I'm here. And I, I didn't have to call in sick. And I didn't have to call anybody. You know, I got my phone on me. So I'm answering emails. If emails come in, if there's clients or, or, or projects I'm working on, whatever. But I'm like, oh, I'm looking at my, my bank account's good. I can pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And it's Tuesday and everyone else is sitting somewhere and I'm not. And that's that, that's a reward you can't get anywhere else. You know, and, and I would recommend even if you fail at business just to do it because – I don't know. I, I feel like it's I feel like it's just this 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 rush of of you know, I don't know. I I'm I'm a control freak though. I love being in control of my own time, so I can't you know, I can't say anything, you know, other than that. But um but back to the following question. Um the podcast has been instrumental. Um it's also been an instrumental networking tool. Um I can't stress doing a podcast enough because it connects you with people you wanna either talk to, learn from, or do business with. Mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, thanks to this podcast, I was Skyping with uh, Kevin Bacon in his living room, you know. So oh wow! You can't you can't ask for anything better than that. I, I mean, I have uh, we have coming up on our show this week. We have uh, Brian uh, Volkweiss coming on. Uh, so our our November uh, it's like twenty fifth show, I think. No, twenty seventh show. Um, Toys that made us. You know, it'll be the second time he's on. You know, mm-hmm. we have 
a lot of folks. I just we just interviewed Heidi McDonald from Comics Beat, who's a just a, a tremendously respected uh, journalist. Um, I had people requesting to come on my show, and that's a cool thing. And and all of a sudden, you know, you go from, you know, it, again, you just view it all as as it's part of your art. It, this is all part of my art. So I don't I don't view the podcast any different than a comic book I put out. As long as I'm putting stuff out, so people understand that I'm a creator. Um, Zenoscope published our last book, which was the mainstream, which as I mentioned earlier. Um, and they said, you know, I got off the phone with Ralph, uh, who was my guest after, and I was just talking to him about the show. Hey, what'd you think of this? Is like very early. This is like maybe my fifth or sixth show. Uh-huh. And so I'm getting feedback. Well, what did you think? How did this go? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Hey, it's great. It's great. And, and, and I said, well, I guess I'll see you in San Diego. He goes, what are you going to, he says, why are you going to be in San Diego? And I'm like, well, you know, cause you know, I still, you know, still doing comics. He's like, I didn't know you were still writing. We need writers here, put in contact with this guy, you know, and, and it became, um, a tool to, to, to put me in contact with the right people. So, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not just building an outward following, it's building an inside following and, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, and it's all part of it. And um, really giving you a chance to sort of define your own personal brand too. It's unbelievable because they enter your domain. I mean, this thing here, you're giving them a platform and, and, but you're doing it on your terms, mm-hmm. you know, whereas you might feel awkward having a like th- that's the best part i think I, like i had uh, the publicist for brainchild talk to me we had the producer and the creator of the show on mm-hmm. and she goes everyone i bring you just loves talking with you and i'm sitting there going yeah and i would not have this opportunity i feel like in a convention setting because i think people have their guards up and people are kind of like I, so unless you're at a dinner party but that's the way we try to make it feel like yeah. you know you're at a you're just you're, we're, we're at a bar we're hanging out and we're just chatting and we're talking they get to they get to you know, again, know, like, and trust you and, and, and feel like they, you know, they can talk to you and open up and, and it, and it, it just helps so much. It helps so much. And, um, you know, so the podcast has been, has been tremendous about building my personal brand. Um, the comics work again, I mean, there's some folks like, like Randy Hogan and, and Brian Abraham and, um, you know, Mark boss, just, I mean, th- th- these guys just, they buy everything I put out there and, um, mm-hmm. and they look forward to more stuff that I put out there. And that's, to me, I, I, you know, I can't thank them enough and any patron that I have on Patreon. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. You're just, you just, you know, you're putting stuff out and people respond to it. Um, then, then that's all you can ask for. You mentioned a couple specific names, you know, back in uh, my fan casting days, I had those very specific names like Bobby Hawk and Hope Mullinax and okay. those super fans uh, uh, of yours yeah. that uh, you're so honored to have. Do you put any focus on trying to keep those people around and engage with them and maybe bring them in on the content sometimes? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, especially in the podcast, it's easy. Um, cause what we do is we live stream out the, uh, the shows on Facebook. So we're interacting with people you know, mm-hmm. during the show anyway, which is great. Um, and I, and I, and I try to put the day after post on Facebook, you know, here's our top commenters, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so when a Mark Pensavalli, uh, for example, you know, engages us in the conversation while we're, while we're doing it, it, it raises everyone up and it makes them feel good. And I mean, I'll actually give you a story about a troll we had. We had a guy, this is, we used to really do Periscope. Um, when Periscope first came out, we would Periscope out our shows and stuff. And this guy would just say the most vile things like, mm-hmm. I hope you die in a burning fire or something. Like it was really weird too. Yeah. Um, but instead of kind of like taking this like offended, you know, kind of term, because I kind of get, look, when you're a nameless, faceless person and you just want to like act out, it's almost like the purge, I guess, in a way. <laughs> As long as you kind of understand that, I I kept we kept just calling him out on the show, but like in a positive way. We're like, "Where's our guy? Where's our guy? Come on, tell us something else." And eventually, 
he was like, I have no life. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> and, and it was like, he's like, I missed you guys. Like, and he became a fan. So, you know, I mean, I'm not encouraging people spout horrible, vile things at us, but uh, I, uh, but uh, I think as long as you create a, a community sense, then then people look. You go to see the band that you're friends with. You know, like you go to see the the friend who's in the band. You know, you go to see yeah. that band. I just used to say that, and so we just try to be as open as possible. And and look, I'm genuine about it too. I mean, I really am. When we first released Sire in 2006, uh, Dan and I would, were, were at Wizard World Chicago. We had our table. And um, this came after when I initially launched Crossfire, and, it, and I told you it failed. Mm-hmm. Um, I took it on the convention circuit for like a good two years and um, trying to just kind of grassroots sell it. So I was always used to just like meeting you for the first time, telling you what the story was, and selling you this book. Yeah. And someone came up to us. And he had an unsigned copy of Sire Number One, and I looked at him like, "Oh, I didn't sign this for you when I when I sold it to you." And he's just like, "No, no, no, no! I bought this in comic book stores. I knew you were going to be here. You're on my list." And he showed me a list, oh, wow. and he's like, "You're one of the people I want to get an autograph from." And it's like, "Holy cow, man! That's the greatest thing I can ever ask for. I can't. <laughs> I, that's that's it. Like, I can't beat that. You know." For me personally, one of the most awkward things of, and this is probably more in the podcasting space than necessarily the comic book space, but sure. you know, you meet these people and you've known them as like a name in your chat room or a name at the bo- end of an email, and so you know you're interacting with them, but you're like, okay, I have to make sure this person knows who I am, what I'm all about, and everything. And then they st- like you start a story, and they're like, oh yeah, and then you cross the street. Yeah, that was great. And you're like, wait a second, this person knows more about me than any other stranger <laughs> I've ever met in my life. No, that's uh, that's awesome. You know, I think that's uh, I think that's a. Um, I mean, that's what we do as fans, though, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we fan out about a whole bunch of stuff. You know, we had this whole debate on our show about like what a geek is versus a nerd, and we came, we figured out that the nerd is is uh, highly knowledgeable on one subject whereas a geek is semi-knowledgeable on a bunch of, I, i'm a geek and my co-host Hassan is a nerd we figured that out when it comes to star wars especially mm-hmm. uh, i love star wars but I, I i by no means consumed anything outside the movies and you know maybe maybe a couple comics here and there whereas he kind of like he knows like the names of like these individual droids and i'm like oh my yeah. god you're kidding me you're killing me but but people you know will, will talk to me after like friends of mine and they're like Oh, that was a typical Hassan response. And it's like, oh, yeah, see, they get him now, you know. And, and I keep telling him, I'm like, you're not a character, but keep playing your character. It's okay. And he's like, oh, no, this is what I genuinely feel. I'm like, yes, and keep doing it because that's your character. You're building a character. I don't know what my character is on my on the show. I don't. I really don't. Um, I, I think I'm just Hassan's foil at this point. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, but, but he's got a definitive stance on things, and he's got a definitive way of doing things. And... And that's part of building, you know, something that people are going to want to tune in for. Yeah. And I I think that's something, too, that separates, you know, just two guys randomly on a Thursday afternoon sitting around some mics and someone who can build a professional, successful show like you. Yeah. That's sort of an idea of what the show needs to be, what the people on the show need to be and, and the willingness to, you know, push that forward, that execution, even when you might not be feeling it. You know, Hassan's funny, too, because he will sit there and I'll, I'll like frantically send him things like, what are we going to talk about this week? What are we going to talk about? And he's like, ah, you know, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, I don't think you understand the meticulousness of the preparation that goes into this show. (laughs) And he does, he actually does. And he, and he acknowledges, he sent me a message the other day. He's like, look, I don't always tell you thanks for putting all this stuff together, but thanks. And it it, it really, look, I, I meticulously put together a show outline. I'm, I'm out there looking for interesting things that people want to talk about. I'm Mm -hmm. guessing as to what, 
people want to talk about and hear about and listen to. I mean, there's definitely stuff where it's like, oh, we're definitely going to get we're going to get tons of viewers for this uh, or we're going to get tons of listeners for this. And, you know, the interaction on Facebook is like next to nothing that day. And and then then there's other things. And it's like, wow, we just talked about like episode one of Star Wars for for and and and, and of such a minute little detail. And we got the most hits we got. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can't you can't even guess. But there's no such thing as luck. It's just putting yourself in the best position uh, to have these these opportunities. And, and there's a lot of work that goes into that. And being prepared for when those random things hit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if, if someone out is listening to this out there and they've had aspirations of making a comic book and they, they want to go out there and try and make a comic book on Kickstarter, what are the big pieces of advice you would give them? Uh, I would actually try to finish as much of the book as you can before you take it to Kickstarter. Because mm-hmm. what you're doing, you know, it's funny. You can fund some, You can get something funded on a concept, but... You got to actually execute it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's definitely some projects I've, I've backed and I'm just like, wait a minute, it's been like two years now. You know, where is this thing? I, I've only ever backed one. I, I've backed several Indiegogos, but I've only ever backed one Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And about two years ago, they sent me an email saying it's never going to happen. Yeah. And, 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 and so you're building a reputation for yourself. Um, I don't know what I would say. And this is kind of something I've learned in general. Don't think short term. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And this this goes for 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 just anything that you're going to do. Um, it is the consistency of output that is that is going to keep people kind of building and growing as part of your 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 clan, your tribe, your your fan base, whatever you're going to say. So don't go into a Kickstarter unless you're absolutely prepared. You know, make sure you have your artists. Make sure you have your script should be done. You know, at the very least, most most Kickstarters are started by writers. Mm-hmm. Um, who then bring in like an artist to kind of work with them, you know, have your awards set up, figure out what the cost of your stuff is going to be, you know, don't just say, well, I guess it's going to cost me like a thousand bucks. So I'll ask for a thousand bucks. That it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I put a $2,500 Kickstarter for a first issue of a comic thinking like, well, okay, my penciler costs 85 a page. My colorist costs $40 a page. So that's 125. All right. 125 times 20. And all right, I don't have to take any money for me as a writer and a letter. That's fine. Uh, but that's great, and, and it's great. And we ended up getting like 3200 And great, we, after the printing and shipping of everything, I think it cost me 3400 So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's like this thing where it's like you, you think you make all this money, and it's like, no, I lost $200. <laughs> How much? I made that $200 back with the extra copies I've sold since then. Mm-hmm. But no, that's there you go. You know, so so quote out everything it's going to cost. This is I said it's a the Kickstarter's a business, man. It's a business plan. That's why I keep saying I keep talking business, and I, and I made sure to mention that right from the outset. You are in a business uh, to sell something so that you can make money doing what you'd rather do versus not doing. Uh, you know, working for somebody else doing something you don't like and or hate. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, it, it's just that simple. Your Kickstarter. Yeah. It's probably some artsy fartsy dream you have and that's awesome. But at the same time, you have to make sure everything's practical and sustainable too. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's numbers of different ways, a number of different ways to go about it too. Right. And it's still, can be boiled down to marketing and branding. Like I look at some of the stuff out there that gets funded. And I'm just like, how did this piece of junk get funded? Like this is, yeah. this is the stuff that if you, if, if I had sent this to diamond or I'd sent this to a publisher, they'd be like, no, it's not good enough or the art's not good enough. Yeah. And, and how that happens is people get invested in you and they want to support you. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I've, I just kind of realized at this point, I don't, 
um, you know, Buddy Scalera, who uh, is a former Marvel comics writer, he's a friend of mine, and we're, we're, we're working on a couple things for next year. And he won, he does these New York Comic Con panels, and he had me on, and, and he introduced me as Mike doesn't ask permission to do these things. He just does it. And I, and I take pride in that. Yes, I just go out and, all right, I want to start a podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I want to be a, a radio show. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put a car. I'm going to do it. But I only did that because I saw other people doing it. <laughs> and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm I don't understand what he's doing that I can't. So you can sell yourself. Or you could sell your work, or you could sell both, and um, and so I think I think if you can figure out what you want to do and, and how you want to sell yourself, then that's the way to go. Excellent, excellent. Well, I I want to thank you again so much for joining me today. It's been a great conversation and a very timely for me in particular. You know, with everything going on. <laughs> well, keep posted. Keep uh, like you have my email, so just like like I said, please let me know if you have any questions. Uh, trust me, I can. Uh, I took a networking workshop course that just taught me like like how to really strategize your networking. And again, it's not it's not a question of like you're not being inauthentic when you do these kind of things. It's just mm-hmm. giving like it's funny, like she she named like a bunch of things that you can do to help, you know, increase your connections and, and help actually, you know, increase uh, sales and this and that. And I'm sitting there going, well, I'm kind of doing that already. And oh, yeah, well, that's common sense. And oh, I'm doing this. And it's kind of like but I, that I realized that I'm like I'm kind of like all over the place. And there's things you can do to kind of like centralize it. So, mm-hmm. so ha- happy to be a resource to you uh, in your journey, man. Oh, absolutely. And you know that's kind of a, a side motivation of starting this podcast too, is to talk to people who are doing the kinds of things I want to do, just so we can collaborate and yeah. you know share ideas and all that stuff because it's so helpful, so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where can people uh, check out the Kickstarter if they want to check it out and maybe help you? Yeah, you know what? The easiest thing, because the Kickstarter uh, URLs are just ridiculously long, uh, <laughs> just go to sirestudiosinc.com slash Kickstarter. So that's S-I-R-E studiosinc.com slash Kickstarter. And it'll take you, it'll redirect you directly to uh, the Kickstarter page. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much again and have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have your own big idea you've made a reality, we want to hear about it. Let us know by emailing this at doanything.media. We'd love to share your project or maybe even talk to you about it. You can follow the show at I Made This Show, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Again, that's at I Made This Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or on our website, imadethis.doanything.media. Again, that's imadethis.doanything.media. And if you do subscribe, make sure you leave a review so we can shout you out on the show. I'm Bill Meeks. Thanks for listening.